They were gonna make me a major for this. I felt like he was up there, waiting for me to take the pain away. He just wanted to go out like a soldier, standing up. Look, I don't want to be like everybody else and, and go for the low-hanging fruit on Joe Biden's presidential address, his second State of the Union, uh, because everybody pretty much picks sides. I was just watching MSNBC, and they, of course, are lauding his speech, and then you flip over to Fox, and they're, they're playing all the bad cuts, and they're showing the argument between he and Marjorie Taylor Greene. And, and to me, that's all the low-hanging fruit of the Biden speech. I actually watched it with nobody else around. My wife was watching her shows. I was, And that's the best way to watch these things so that you don't get influenced by other people and their reactions, and then you get into debate and you miss. So I just watched it by myself, had a couple of beers, and was eating some dinner. And I have to say that uh, objectively, as much as I disdain Joe Biden's policies, I think it was, I think he did a pretty good job considering. And I was amazed at how long he spoke because I thought he would go maybe 15 minutes. In fact, I predicted it might be one of the shortest uh, speeches in uh, the State of the Union history. And he actually went a little bit extra, a little bit overboard. And there were times, I, I think, where that anger shows up in in Biden's persona because he's very bitter. I think he's a very bitter man. How could you not be a bitter man? You lost your wife and your daughter to a traffic accident. Then years later, you lose probably your the son you're most proud of. And then you're stuck with the other one who likes to travel around the world and do cocaine and, and uh, call hookers, which may not upset Joe Biden that much, actually, come to think of it. But the one thing I do know is that he lies a lot. He makes things up. And if any of us did that, we would be called on the carpet, just like that congressman out of New York. Biden lies about everything. He And, and I think part of that is because his chief of staff, Ron Klain, fills his head with misinformation. They fudge the numbers. You know, he goes around and says, oh, we've created more jobs, you know, in the last 50 years. Well, no, you've, you've created a condition where more people have to find more work in order to pay the bills. That's what you've done. The same people are working 12 hours a day instead of eight hours a day because they have to make more money. They have to have a side hustle. You know how many people I know that have side hustles? Everybody has a side hustle because they know that the 40-hour-a-week paycheck isn't going to cut it anymore. Our taxes are going up. I'm making the same amount of money that I've made historically for many years, and it's not going as far. My electric bill is up because my electric company wants me to pay for their conversion to a, a less abundant form of energy, which is going to cost them more to produce. So I have to pay for that. I've got to pay twice as much now for gas, even though I drive the same. Imagine if you drive every day, spend two, three hours in your vehicle because you're stuck in traffic. You're paying every day 50% more than what you were paying two years ago. That hurts. And everything else, by the way, that you're paying for, eggs, uh, uh, medicines, you know, chicken, all the staples, you're paying more for it. 
and because it's directly tied to the expense of energy. Everything, my God, if they taught this in school, people would be educated and they would be more outraged. The policies that Joe Biden put into place have crippled the economy and made all of us have to work more to pay for less. But he doesn't see that. He looks at one number. Oh, GDP is up. Oh, we're, we're buying more. Well, there are more people. There are, there are more services being consumed because we're now in a post-COVID world where people uh, were basically told to stay home for a year, a year and a half. I have relatives in California that are still concerned about COVID. The, what was it? Rachel Maddow said on MSNBC that she was surprised that there were so few people that were not wearing masks at the State of the Union, that old Bernie Sanders was the only one. I looked at him and I said, what are you, stupid? Are you not of science? Do you not understand that if you're sitting in a chamber with 500 other people, that, that that little mask that you're wearing, it's like jumping into the pool and hoping the mask that you're wearing will keep your face dry. Uh, you know, you just have to use science. Think of, of the atomic structure of a mask uh, and, the and the fabrics, and then think about the molecule of a virus, which is about 50 times smaller. It's like pouring water through a tennis net. Anyway, so Biden's speech. How can I be original? What can I be original about? Uh, he had a lot of energy. I don't think we're going to see him for a couple of days. Uh, he still has the same problems that he had before he started the speech, which is documents, what's going on with that. See, to me, the State of the Union was a little bit of a distraction because we still got the situation with the uh, Ukrainian war and the billions of dollars that we're spending. And now I hear that what, it, what, what was it, what country is going to be I think it's Germany now. They've decided that they're going to go ahead and train fighter pilots, Ukrainians, to fight. I mean, they might as well just fight them themselves at this point. It's like handing a Ukrainian soldier a U.S. Uh, AR-15 or whatever and, and telling him, and I just pull the trigger, just pull the trigger. Here's how you pull the trigger. You do everything but. You put the bullets in, you sell them the bullets, you sell them the gun. Yeah, but he pulls the trigger. And and Putin is supposed to say, I'm not fighting a proxy war with the West. Another general came out, this time the UN general, came out and said that Europe is sleepwalking into World War III. We are sleepwalking. To, uh, it, it, did that get addressed last night? No. We do know that the U.S. tried to make peace, but Zelensky denied says, I, want, I don't want peace. I'm not giving up any of Ukraine, and I want Crimea back. Which somebody pointed out to me, uh, reminded me that Obama was the one that allowed Putin to take over Crimea. Just took it over. No conflict. Sort of like the balloon. No conflict. Then there was a statement that Biden made that only a couple of reporters picked up on the, on the State of the Union. It was the uh, comment about who in the world would be able to trade places with Xi Jinping. It was sort of out of context. It didn't have any relevance to what he was saying. And I actually rewound the tape because that's the nice thing about TV is you can rewind and listen. And I didn't understand what the reference was made to. Who in the world, who, who, what world leader would be able to 
to, re to change places with Xi Jinping. I had no idea what he was talking about. None whatsoever. Was that his uh, shout-out to Brother Xi? I don't know. Uh, somebody should ask him that. What did you mean by that? Of course, he probably doesn't remember saying it. So we won't see Joe Biden for at least a couple of days because it'll take that long to unpack this entire thing. But uh, was it a good speech for him? Absolutely. I think the Democrats were probably sweating it. Uh, I haven't watched it in complete detail. I'm sure I'll see the highlights and then I'll have a completely different uh, reaction of of the speech. But for now, I would say that, you know, he's halfway through, you know, it's like a guy who runs around one of those tracks at a high school or a, a college and he's got to, he's got to run eight miles. Well, he's about halfway there and he amazingly had the energy. Of course, how could you not? This is his shining moment, right? This is a shining moment. But, you know, I think that he's, uh, you know, again, like I said, we probably won't, we probably won't see him in a while. That's what I'm guessing. He'll need to rest and relax. Uh, by the way, you, you can always follow me online at Twitter. I'll just to give, give up my social handle. I'm the one that uses the image of Thomas Paine as a tribute to the man who brought us common sense. It's a great story if you've never heard it, but he was an apprentice of Ben Franklin, young guy too. And it was at that time when people were trying to decide where they wanted their allegiance. Were they were they British? Were they uh, you know loyal to the crown, which was Britain, or were they loyal as a colonial to uh, what was then pre-United States? Were they loyal to the territories and the people that lived in North America, the colonials, the Americans, or were they loyal to? the uh, British, and, and it was Thomas Paine who penned a, a, a short essay. It was called Common Sense, and in it, and this is something I read a long time ago, so it's been a long time, and in it, he said that eventually America will be ruled by somebody. It'll either be the French, the Spanish, the British, the Dutch. Someone will rule these 13 colonies. So it might as well be us. That's what he said. That's what Thomas Paine said. And he said, it's common sense. Eventually someone will dominate. Why don't we dominate our own self-rule? Why don't we set up our own system and apply the laws of, of the government working for the people? A true republic where people have a say in their affairs. And wow, that blew people away back then. Ooh, what he's, he's kind of right, isn't he? And that sort of lit the fire. But really what got people upset was the way the British soldiers were treating women in the countryside. And they were taking over people's homes and doing some pretty bad things. And that's what really, I think, instigated the colonial uprising and the willingness to, to fend off British soldiers. So a little bit of history for you. But we're going to continue in a moment here on Speaking Out. I'm JR. It's good to be here. We'll talk a little bit about some of the other things that are going on, including what's happening in Turkey. And I have an interesting observation about that. We'll continue.
Welcome back to Speaking Out. JR here. You know, this video, I was watching this yesterday of what's happening in Syria and Turkey. I don't know if you were able to, you must have seen some of it. I mean, it's all over the place. I was shocked I, when it first happened. Oh my God, it was early Tuesday morning. And this is an area of Syria and Turkey where they border, if you haven't noticed it geographically. But this is a very densely populated area. It's also one of the oldest areas where there is civilization. In other words, the, the, the cradle of civilization is exactly where all of that devastation took place. And you saw, you witnessed six 10-story buildings crashing. There was one scene where this guy had his cell phone out and he's standing across the street. It looks like a major city. He's standing across the street and you can hear these two people yelling at each other in a language could have been whatever the language was. I'm not even sure where the city was, but it was in Turkey. And you can hear one guy, it sounds like he's running out of the building and he's screaming at the other guy, run, run, run. And the next thing you know, this big 10 story building comes crashing down. And I don't know how the guy who was uh, recording it was, was able to do it and not lose his phone. He must've been running backwards, but man, he captured the whole thing. And you see this a block after block after block of all these 10, 12 story buildings that look like, you know, buildings here in the United States. I mean, I, I thought, my God, you know, that could happen here. And then I saw this other thing where someone posted, I'll have to try to find it and put it on my website, jimwatkins1.com. And uh, I, uh, it was just something else to see the seismic aftershock move through the entire globe. They showed of the, the North American continent and how the seismic wave of this powerful earthquake, 7.8, followed by a 7.5 quake, which is extremely powerful. It would destroy any major U.S. city as it has done in this area. And the reason is because of the plates. The tectonics are as such, if you look at that region of southern Turkey, this is where they had the Gobleke Tepe underground civilizations that go back like 12,000 years. Yeah, this is before history. This is before we can call ourselves, I mean, this is pre-Sumerian by 8,000 years, maybe even more. Anyway, so... Uh, my point is, is that as I'm watching these seismic waves emanate from southern Turkey and northeastern Iraq, and you see the seismic energy moving outward, and it moves across the Atlantic, and it moves across the United States, and it sort of like winds its way down to sort of this central area, which is southern California. You can see these seismic waves sort of, you know, just like a regular wave. It sort of moves, and as it moves outward... It sort of gathers in one particular, kind of like water dripping towards one little area. And I kid you not, it looks like L.A. is on fire. It's like absorbing the remnants. And I thought to myself, my God, what if that had happened the day after the Grammys in Los Angeles? What if L.A. had been hit by a 7.8 earthquake? or San Francisco for that matter. I mean, they know that the big one is coming. I've been hearing that since I was a little kid. 
The big one is coming. You know, the 100-year quake. Now, they've had some big quakes, but they haven't had a 7.8. Now, I noticed during the rainfall a few weeks ago when Los Angeles was getting inundated and some of the cliffs were starting to crumble, and I remembered, yes, you know, as a, as a kid growing up in Santa Barbara, we would often go down to the beach, and the cliffs at the beach are, oh, I don't know, maybe two, 300 feet high. And there are actually walking areas. There's a, a place called Douglas Preserve. It's actually uh, was funded by Michael Douglas, the actor, and his wife. And they donated millions of dollars to preserve this Douglas Preserve, and it it's it's basically a, filled with eucalyptus trees that are hundreds of feet high, and you see the landscape of the mountains, you know, behind the Angeles, not the Angeles National Forest, but anyway, the mountains that sort of cradle that whole Santa Barbara coastal region. And the cliffs are about two, 300 feet high, but if you look at the mass or the material that makes up the cliff, it's a very soft, powdery, it's not like granite like they have on the West Coast or the East Coast where it's really hard and that's the granite tends to jet out and it's it's almost so dense you can't break it. But the, the cliffs off of Santa Barbara and, in fact, all of Southern California was sort of a, almost like a chalk kind of a – it's hard enough to sustain itself, but it wouldn't take much to break it. And when they had all these water holes – breaking all over Northern California during the, the rainy season that just passed, you could see how soft and vulnerable the actual landmass is in California. And I thought, man, if that place were to get hit by a major earthquake, which, of course, we know about the San Andreas Fault, can you imagine what that would be? You imagine how devastating if what you were watching now that's going, play, going on in some place far, far away if you're if you're if you're watching that, think about what would have happened in L.A. or San Francisco. We would be devastated. the The entire country, if you saw all of Los Angeles just crumble, and that's when it hits you. That's when it hits you just how vulnerable you are. And I've lived through devastation a number of times with earthquakes and hurricanes and fires, landslides. And it doesn't take much, you know, like George Carlin famously said, we're like fleas on the back of a dog. And and anytime the dog wants, it could just flick us off. And that's what happened a couple of days ago. God bless them, those folks in Syria, the women with their children's trapped under all that rubble. Uh, and, and our heart pours out for these people because they didn't do anything to deserve it. And they're not being punished as far as I know. But I might have had different thoughts had, had something like that happened the night after the Grammys in Los Angeles. I would have said, yep, God had enough if you saw the spectacle. So let's pray for the people of Syria and Turkey their lives have been ruined and through no fault of their own. And let's also pray that something like that doesn't happen here at home, where nature, you know, of course, Gavin Newsom will find a way to make it, turn it into a climate change argument, no doubt. But what are they doing to prepare?
You know, 300,000 people moved out of California last year. 300,000, a million point five in the last 10 years have moved out of the Golden State. Isn't that interesting? I guess people just don't find it as, you know, wondrous as it used to be. The magic is gone. Now they're introducing a wealth tax. So if you leave the state, you will continue to pay California taxes. Isn't that crazy? JR, speaking out, will continue. Welcome back to Speaking Out. I'm your host, JR. Uh, you can also check out the Speaking Out podcast. It's on all your favorite podcast players in case you can't catch me at this usual time. So what else is going on? They're doing uh, the hearings uh, uh, on the nation's capital, on all those things that have happened over the last couple of years. They're grilling Twitter executives over their censoring of the Hunter Biden laptop. Uh, saying that it was irresponsible. There was a great article yesterday. It pointed out that the people that were part of the intelligence committee, all of those former CIA directors and intelligence officers that swore on a stack of Bibles that the Hunter laptop story was Russian disinformation. And it turns out that the laptop was, in fact, Hunter's. He's admitted it. And the problem here is that we still haven't figured out exactly what could be on the laptop that could show whether or not our president is compromised. And that's really what this is all about. I mean, you can get rid of all the theater and you could be left and right and, and, you know, and take it. Oh, it's all political. They're just trying to make Joe Biden look bad. But here are the facts. The facts are that Hunter Biden dropped off a laptop somewhere in, in Delaware at a repair shop and was probably so stoned or hung over the next day that he vaguely remembered it because he didn't go pick it up after like 90 days. And the poor shop guy uh, finally called him and said, look, are you going to pick this thing up? And of course, you know, the protocol for a repair shop, you know the story. They they basically, you've got to give them permission to go into your, your computer and try to figure out what's wrong with a hard drive. That's what this guy did. And he found all kinds of porn and things that he thought were perhaps a threat to national security. And this was before Joe Biden announced that he was running for president. So this guy naturally calls the FBI and says, hey, I think you should investigate it. And they don't do anything. Nobody showed up for months. It wasn't until Joe Biden announced his presidency that the FBI followed up with a computer guy. And then it sat in the FBI and when so, so the story leaked because the shop owner also reached out to Rudy Giuliani's lawyer. And that's when the press started to think, oh, this is just, you know, Trump, collusion, Russia, disinformation. And that's the story. And that's what everybody went with. Totally disregarding the fact that maybe what was on Hunter's Biden, uh, Hunter, uh, Hunter Biden's laptop would show us. 
what the president was up to, or at least what Hunter Biden is up to. He's the one going out, arranging all these deals on, on behalf of his father, using his father's influence. I mean, he's basically selling access. And that's where it gets weird, because here we have a sitting president whose son was out there selling access. And his son has a reputation for being somewhat nefarious, not reliable. And through his father's opening of doors, he's able to sit on energy board of directors for Burisma, make a lot of money, give a lot of money. I mean, he was out there playing the field. It's not really Hunter Biden so much. Hunter Biden is Hunter Biden, right? You know, man's going to do what a man's going to do. Uh, I wouldn't even begin to understand what it would have been like to grow up in the Biden household with daddy away. You know, his brother dies. of a. am sure he was close to his brother, his older brother. He loses his mom. It's just, you know, I'm not, I'm not making excuses for Hunter, but I can clearly see why the guy's messed up. You know, who among us can cast a, a stone here, you know? By the way, 11,000 and counting have died as a result of the 7.8 earthquake that struck Nepal. 8,800 uh, so far in Turkey and Syria, so it's fast approaching the record number. So, uh, and that's what we know about. But yeah, Biden, uh, uh, the whole thing with hiding it, and this is what I was getting to, is that you have a situation here where the social media and the regular media were hiding the story. And the story is, is Joe Biden compromised? Does Hunter Biden's laptop show us that Joe Biden is compromised by the Chinese, by uh, who knows, the Ukrainians, do they have something on Joe Biden that they can use to extort the president? Is that such a far-fetched com- conspiracy to believe that our president, I mean, we were willing to believe it on Trump, and that was the whole reason that we thought that Trump was being used by Putin as some sort of a spy, that, that Putin had compromising evidence of a tape where, you know, Trump is... I don't want to go there, but, you know, that was what people walked around believing. So why is it so hard to believe that Joe Biden could be compromised? And that's the whole point. And not only that, it was the fact that the the social media and the regular media held on to the story or dis, uh, marginalized the story when it was a very important story for Americans to know about heading into the elections. There's no doubt in my mind that if the Hunter Biden story had come to light and had been investigated, which it now is, that Biden wouldn't have been elected president. And people would have had a right to know. And they did have a right to know. And they were denied that right by people who think they know better. You know, when we talk about the balloon story, and we find out that the chief of staff, was it Millie or was it Mattis? Mattis came out and said that he withheld the balloon story during the Trump administration because, quote, Trump is too aggressive and he might have tried to shoot it down. Well, that's what we were supposed to do. He would have been on the phone with Xi Jinping saying, what the hell are you doing? You can't do this. I'm shooting this down. Uh, And, you know, and again, the press just 
you know, slurps it up like soup. They're out to protect because, see, it's the same thing with, with a lot of when you're vested in a belief system and you're vested in a belief system that A, Donald Trump is the devil and B, Biden is your savior, then anything that's contrary, contrary to that belief system is, is going to be ignored. You know, like today, people still insist that the boosters and all those COVID vaccines, you know, kept us from dying from COVID. Well, we know that's not true now. Or at least some of us know. Some people are still walking around getting boosted every six weeks, thinking that they're safe. So, and I'm not going to say one way or the other. You do whatever you want, your body, if you want to. But, you know, people are going to believe Haters are going to hate. That's what they used to say. Haters are going to hate. And that's what's happening. There's a whole lot of hating going on. Now, Sanders, uh, the wonderful speech from the... So, yeah, Sarah Huckabee Sanders gave a great and moving speech. Some are calling it the best response speech at the State of the Union. And I want to just highlight, and maybe we'll do that in the next segment, where we talk about some of the highlights of her speech, which I thought were very poignant. I think we'll do that. We'll go ahead and do that. And uh, and we'll hear from Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She was a great, I was reminded that she was a great secretary. Uh, and she was for President Trump. Much better than Jen Psaki. And I, I hate to say it, but much better than that Sean, what's his name on Newsmax. But we'll be right back. We'll continue our discussion. Speaking out. You know, right now you can eliminate odors, mold, mildew, bacteria, and viruses in your home with the Eden Pure Thunderstorm Air Purifier. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm uses OXI technology that naturally sends out O3 molecules that seek out and destroy odors. The Thunderstorm doesn't mask or cover up bad smells. It eliminates them, leaving the fresh air clean smelling, just like after a thunderstorm. The Thunderstorm is small, plugs right into the wall, and fits into the palm of your hand. You can put one in your basement, bedroom, family room, kitchen, or anywhere you want clean, fresh air. It even includes a USB cord for your car, truck, and motorhome. Right now, save $200 on an Eden Pure Thunderstorm 3-pack for whole home protection. That's three units for under $200, a fraction of the cost compared to other air purifiers. Go to EdenPureDeals.com and use discount code SPEAK3 to save $200. That's EdenPureDeals.com. Use SPEAK and the number 3 and we'll throw in shipping free. Welcome back to Speaking Out. JR here. So, yes, I have to give kudos to Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She delivered on the GOP response to the State of the Union and declaring that it's a choice between normal and crazy. And she is absolutely right. According to The Hill, quote, Sanders finds herself at her highest position yet in a GOP that is an intersection between Trumpism and potential new leaders, end quote. And she was inspired to deliver the GOP response for multiple reasons. First, at, as Trump's press secretary, she proved herself an effective communicator who could go toe-to-toe with Democrats. Second, as the nation's youngest governor, she represents a new generation of conservative leaders. I told you that the pendulum always swings. You know, you can look back if you, as you grow old in years, 
and you have more time to reflect on past events with clarity and with hopefully a little bit of wisdom. What you see is that what is hip today is not always hip in a couple of decades. You know, we all wore those funny-looking pants when we were young, those flare jeans and those uh, construction pants, and I used to wear yellow and white, and when I was 20, I thought those were cool. And remember the punk rockers with their funny hair and their spikes and wearing all that leather? That was pretty hip, too. It's pretty stupid now. Uh, it used to be when Saturday Night Live came on on Saturday night, it was the anti uh, it was the anti-establishment, and they were poking fun at the establishment conservatives. Now, Saturday Night Live is the establishment. Isn't that funny? They are the establishment. Jay Leno and all those great comedians, Johnny Carson, they didn't pick sides, and they were hugely successful. And now Jay Leno, and well, he's gone. From TV, but uh, Jimmy Kimmel, they're they're desperate for ratings. Ever since Trump's left, they're left with their their little audience, their little audience of liberals, of haters, people who just hated Trump just because they didn't like him. Uh, things change. The pendulum always swings. What I'm seeing now is an army of young conservatives, people like Charlie Kirk and Ben Shapiro. These guys are under the age. I think Ben may be a little older. But that one woman, Obi Kenobi, I can't remember her name. She's brilliant from PragerU. I mean, PragerU is like a bench team for the new conservative movement. Not neoconservative. God, no. We don't need any, need any more neocons. Now, what we're seeing now coming out of uh, the Farm League are young people who want to believe in something, and they do believe in something. A lot of these people are Christian. A lot of these people are influenced by the evangelical movement of the, uh, the early 90s when they were young. And there was an evangelical. Remember the big thing they used to do? The, uh, they get all the fathers together at the stadiums, Mile High Stadium. And they would make these, an army of fathers get together under the, uh, under the Christian ethos and declare to be good dads. And I think a lot of these young conservatives saw that. They remember and they were taught about Reagan and about the dangers of big government, and they're seeing what's happening. And they don't like the fact that in school they're ostracized. You know, these college professors turned students against each other. Anybody who was conservative was considered a hater. Even today, look at Jordan Peterson. His own university won't allow him to speak on campus because he dares to question trans ideology or... LGBTQ ideology, which he calls as being just nothing but narcissists. So anyway, here we have a, a product of, of a younger generation of conservatives who've been around and they're smart and they're wise. And I think we, we could all agree that uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is a smart lady, very smart conservative. You look at the people like Dana Perino, smart She's a little older, but smart conservatives, uh, they're out there. I see them all the time, and they, they, they know their history. And unlike some of the more liberal, you know, like I, I, I bet if any, I, I bet if Sarah Huckabee Sanders got into a real debate with Whoopi Goldberg, 
that she would cream her. She would just destroy her. Uh, you know, Whoopi would would walk off in a rage if she got into a real discussion. See, she can sit on that show and not be uh, challenged by anybody because she's Whoopi. I remember when Whoopi became famous because she wrote and starred in her own stage play, which was a brilliant expose on the mentally ill. She played a crazy woman. And I remember the funniest line was, I get high so I can deal with with society. It was she was a heroin addict. She won a lot of awards. She was great. She was great when she was in Ghost in the Sister Act. She was a brilliant comedian. And then she got infected with this crazy woke. And I think what happens when you're in that kind of a situation where you're a star and you're a legacy and you're a legend and you get surrounded by people who all they do all day long is praise you. And you start to think that this is, I think you got the Rob Reiner complex or the Michael Moore complex where you start to see that, oh, well, everybody agrees with me. I must be pretty smart. And then you start believing in your own press. And then you start to think, that, well, maybe I should give my opinion on political matters. I'm pretty smart. I've survived. I'm successful. Uh, and then in the uh, aughts and then in the, the tens, LGBTQ activism changed the landscape. And we'll get into that in future episodes, I'm sure. But it is an activist. It's militant. I'm not sure where, where this is headed, but... It sure seems that LGBTQ has become a major political party. I mean, I'm, I know I'm stating the obvious here, but man, do they have extortion powers. They are able to intimidate anybody. You know, blue states are, and it kind of alludes back to what Sarah Huckabee Sanders is talking about. The family is being attacked in the United States. There's no question about that. The, the institution of marriage between a man and a woman is being contested. It's being challenged as a patriarchy. That's something to be feared. And when you teach young people, do not grow up, do not have children, do not get married, because those are patriarchal, oppressive ideologies that no longer fit in the new normal. What you're going to have is a breakdown of society because you cannot have a society of order when you do not have families who raise children who grow up to be decent members and productive members of that society. You just can't. History shows, even with the Roman Empire, that when they started to make things lax for young people and they gave them the right to vote, I'm not saying we should take pe young people's right to vote away. I'm trying to use this as an illustration that when you become too liberal and truth becomes relative to the person, as in the case of trans ideology, where you can pick your own binary or none at all, it, it, it breaks down the institutions that lead to stability in society. General respect between people, the golden rule, all of those things are washed out when your head is filled with nothing but me, 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 me. What's the government going to do for me? What's, what's Biden going to do for me? And that's where we're at now in our country, where these factions of groups of people uh, are being protected by the federal government. And the federal government is only too happy to protect people. But, but what they're not telling you is protect them from who? Who is LGBTQ seeking the government to protect themselves from? That's right. Family.
That's what the educational system is wrought with this wokeism now, which teaches young children to keep secrets from their parents. That's, that's to me, that was the tipping point. When my daughter was going to, I think, early years of high school, might have been middle school, and the teacher was having her keep a diary, but we weren't allowed to see it. And I thought, this isn't a therapist. This is a school teacher. Why is the school teacher encouraging my child to keep secrets from me? I don't send my kid to school to do that. Uh, it, those kinds of things started to crop up in the aughts. And what we didn't know and we know now is that slowly but surely, it's almost like a, an episode of Invasion of the Body Snatchers where you start to notice that people around you are they're acting differently. Uh, they don't show any emotion. Uh, everything's, they're fine, but but you, you get the feeling that they're they're different, that somehow they're not compassionate, their feelings are cut off, they don't like you, they don't trust you. As a parent, they see you. I'm talking about teachers, the way they view parents. And you heard some of these teachers, parents, uh, what was it, McAuliffe and, and the gov former governor of Virginia, saying that parents have no business trying to tell teachers how to teach their their children, that lost him in the election. He's no longer the governor because of that. People were outraged when they found out that our teachers were teaching LGBTQ and BLM, critical race theory, and they're still trying to do it. You just saw the other day that Disney, which is not an educational institution, but it's an influential one, teaching uh, kids about reparations. So, yeah, uh, I, I, she's right. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is right. It's between normal and crazy. She said, being a mom to three young children taught me not to believe every story I hear. So forgive me for not believing much of anything I've heard from President Biden. Democrats want to rule us with more government control, but that's not who we are. America is the greatest country the world has ever known because we're the freest country the world has ever known. Those are some of the statements she made at the State of the Union. And my God, it was great to hear. It's great to hear. Well, this is going to do it for yours truly. JR, speaking out. We'll do it again next time. <laughs>